Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. Welcome back, everybody. I am your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me again this week after a week on IR is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen. And Brooks, I'm glad you're back this week because we have a ton to get to. Man, I, I am alive. I feel lucky to be alive. For those that don't know, I have two little ones. I have a soon-to-be eight-year-old and a four-year-old, and it's like living in a house with two little Petri dishes that... Uh, have a constantly evolving science experiment going on inside of them. And uh, I usually fall victim to whatever kind of bugs and diseases they bring home. I think last week I may have had Ebola and survived. So <laughs> it's good to be back. Well, at least you made um, it, at least you made it through it. I know. Right. And, and I'm, I made it through to the other side to see probably one of the busiest weeks we've had in quite a while. And we knew it was coming. We previewed this, a couple weeks back, the recruiting period began uh, on Monday of this week, and college basketball staffs across the country started hitting the road. Uh, so we got a lot to get to with that. We've got Memphis winning its second game in, on the year and beating Southern this past Saturday. We've got South Alabama coming up this weekend. we got a lot going on, so let's just jump right into it. Yeah, absolutely, Brooks. And you know where I want to start, as always. Let's start with football. Uh, Memphis had their 55-24 to victory over Southern on Saturday. The first half was not pretty from a defensive standpoint and overall a sloppy game, but I think coming off of that Ole Miss game, I'm not going to say it was expected. Uh, I'm not going to say people expected Memphis to kind of come out and lay a dud in the first half, but when you come off of a game with so much emotion and so much hype, uh, and especially against a physical team like Ole Miss, it really takes a toll. So I'm not going to say I was extremely surprised that they struggled in the first half, but I will give a couple of my takeaways real quick. My biggest one's Brady White. I mean, I, I know it was against Southern. It's against the FCS school. It's it's not a good football team, but I think for any Memphis fan to see him stretching the ball down the field, putting touch on deep balls, I mean, that's got to be a good sign. I know there was a lot of open receivers, um, and there weren't, a, there weren't a ton of tight windows, but when you have a good scheme – there's there's not many tight windows. I mean, you can look in the NFL at guys like Patrick Mahomes or, you know, look back in college systems like Cliff Kingsbury had or anybody in the Big 12 with those spread systems. They don't throw the ball in tight windows because of the way the offense is schemed. So I think it's positive to see Brady White doing this. I've been saying for months now that his arm looked much better. And after that first game, I was worried that I was uh, incorrect on that assumption. But I would say, you know, even though it was against Southern, this was the best passing performance he's had in a, in a Memphis uniform. So to me, that is a very positive thing. And hopefully he can build on that moving forward, you know, as they go into conference play and, and play some tougher defenses. Well, Christian, I want to interrupt you here. Do you think that uh, his performance in the Ole Miss game had anything to do with Mike Norvell's extremely conservative game plan just to get through that game, get the dub, and move on. I mean, to me, looking at that game, looking at the way they play called, and then you move on against Southern, it was a very aggressive play calling game. They had a, a, a lot uh, more wrinkles in their offense. They they did a lot more dynamic stuff that you're used to seeing from this Memphis offense. And to me, it felt like they were extremely conservative. They let They didn't want Brady to lose the game 
for them in the Ole Miss game. And then last Saturday, they kind of opened the playbook up to him. Is that Do you feel like that had anything to do with his improved performance in week two? Oh, 100%. I mean, they had one goal against Ole Miss, and that was to win the game. And they knew their best shot was to keep the ball away from Ole Miss's offense. And by and to do that, they had to run the ball. They had to run the ball with Patrick Taylor and Kenny Gainwell, uh, control time of possession. And, and you see in their passing game, they were not throwing past 10 yards. They were throwing uh, screens and, and short slants and stuff like that just to get the ball out of Brady's hands. Uh, to get short completions and to you know to shorten the field and shorten the game, so I think it was more game plan than anything else. And uh, you know, as a quarterback, as Brady White, all you can do is go out and do that game plan, execute that game plan. If you're going to throw 15, 20 screens in the game, that's what you can do. And I think we saw a couple good throws from him against Ole Miss. He had the one to open the the second half that he threw over the middle to Patrick Taylor. That was a good throw. And then, like you said, Brooks, they really opened it up against Southern, they wanted to show people that they could throw the ball down the field. That is a huge point in Mike Norvell's offense is throwing the ball down the field. So they wanted to, in my opinion, they wanted to show people that they could get back to that with Brady White at the helm because I know that's been doubted ever since uh, Riley Ferguson left. So I think that was part of the game plan in the Ole Miss game was to kind of hold the reins back, run the ball, run the timeout. And then this week they just wanted to go out there and have fun and show that they still have an explosive offense. And, and like I said, we cannot overreact to this because it was Southern. They are not a good team. They did not have a good defense. Um, but it is encouraging because he wasn't making those throws against Mercer last year. He wasn't throwing you know, four-plus 50-yard throws in a game. It just wasn't happening. So for him to do that, it is encouraging regardless of who they played. So it's game plan, it's scheming, and like I said, he just has to continue to build upon that and prove that he can make those throws against you know Houston and USF and Cincinnati. And if he can do that, then I think he proves a lot of people wrong. Well, the other thing – you know, kind of transitioning and moving more towards the defensive side of the ball. The other thing that I took note of, and I think is really, it kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. And I think Memphis is going to have to to tweak heading into that the, their fifth game against Navy. Is that that option gave Memphis some problems on Saturday, uh, especially early. And, you know, it took them some time to adjust and. You know, let's just call it like it is. If they get down early to, to Navy, and you know, Navy's a much more explosive offense than Southern. Uh, you know, they they have the chance to to put up points early if Memphis falls behind and and starts having to sling the ball if Brady makes mistakes. You know, that could spell trouble. So, what did you see defensively that did it cause you any concern like it did me? And what does Memphis do leading up to that Navy game? A similar attack as Southern. Uh, to try to shore, shore things up a little bit. Well, Brooks, you're reading my mind. I'm so proud on your football takes right now. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. That triple option with uh, an athletic quarterback, I believe his name was Ladarius Skelton, very athletic quarterback, made some, made some plays. And you could see Memphis's defense was guessing at certain points. I don't think they were as prepared for that triple option as they should have been. I, I, you know, I can't say I've watched a ton of Southern games, so I don't know how much they typically do that. Um, and preparing for that's not easy regardless of if they've done it in the past or not. So, yeah, uh, a little bit of concern there because they do have that Navy game when we know they're probably going to throw the ball five times and run the ball 45 times. 
Um, but to me, this is what I've been trying to tell people about Navy all year. I know they give Memphis trouble every year, regardless of if they're good or bad. I know a couple of years ago when you know when Memphis beat them, they were a good team. Last year when Memphis lost to them, I think they were two and ten on the season. So it doesn't matter what type of team Navy has; they're going to give Memphis trouble. Memphis has twelve days to prepare for Navy after the South Alabama game. That is huge. It, you know, that's an extra week of practice almost to prepare for an offense that you see once a year. And another good part about that is they have so many veterans on this defense, even though it's a different system, they have players that have played against Navy. And I think this could finally be the year when Memphis steps up against that triple option because they have the personnel, they have the depth, uh, they have the defensive mind and Adam Fuller, and they have the preparation dates for that game. So it's a little bit concerning because Southern did break off some big plays off of that triple option, but... On the flip side of that, this is not the same defense from last year. This is not the same defensive coordinator from last year. And when you have extra days, that absolutely helps. So I I do think it is a bit concerning, but I think they get it fixed before that Navy game. Well, and and you said something that that kind of uh, brought something to my attention. Uh, I misspoke. I forgot about the bye week. You know, Memphis, it's not their fifth game. It's the fifth week. Memphis has a bye week. Yeah, it's the fourth game, fifth week. Uh, Memphis has a bye game after South Alabama. Before they get to that bye game, before they get to Navy, they've got South Alabama. So the final thing I wanted to kind of touch on before we head on to basketball recruiting is the South Alabama game, South Alabama. Um, you know, based upon what they did in their first game, I, I'm a little bit you know more – uh, reticent to to want to see what Memphis does this Saturday. Uh, it's at South Alabama. It's down there in Mobile. Uh, you know, Memphis goes on the road for the first time this season. What do you see happening? Well, I think – I don't want to say this is going to be Memphis's first test because it is South Alabama. This is a team that they beat last year. They did allow a ton of yards. Evan Orth went crazy on them. Jamarius Way went crazy on them. Uh, fortunately, Jamarius Way is in the NFL now, so Memphis doesn't have to worry about allowing him to have 185 yards and two touchdowns again, uh, which I think is definitely a positive for this defense. But, I mean, South Alabama played Nebraska well. Nebraska is a top 25 team. They have a quarterback in Adrian Martinez who's been, you know, one of the most hyped quarterbacks of the offseason after a good true freshman season. Uh, so, if they could give Adrian Martinez trouble, can they give Brady White trouble? Or does Brady White prove that he is an improved player? Uh, there's a lot of question marks and a lot of storylines heading into this game that you wouldn't expect in a Memphis versus South Alabama game. Uh, could could a South Alabama's first game against uh, Nebraska been a fluke and they just played out of their minds? Absolutely. I think that's more likely the scenario, especially at this point in the season. You know, you hear so many times that defense should be ahead of offense. So that could be reason for struggle in that um, from Nebraska's offense and from Adrian Martinez. Uh, so I think it is interesting. I think they will give Memphis a little bit of trouble. Like you said, it's their first road game. Uh, they have a, a few young players in important roles, so they're going to have to be prepared to go on the road for the first time. But, I mean, I still see Memphis winning that game. They're by far the more talented team. As long as Brady White plays well uh, and builds off of that play and you you know, you know can get the running game going with Kenny Gainwell, they don't expect to have Patrick Taylor back this week, which, which hurts. But I think we've seen enough from Kenny Gainwell to say that he has no problem filling that role. I think if you're able to run the ball, 
uh, and Brady gives you some big plays from the passing game and your defense plays up to the capabilities that they can, the way they show they can play in week one, then Memphis could honestly run away with this game. Because a team like South Alabama, you don't want to allow them to hang around because they want you to come to their stadium and get upset. That's, you know, that's their fan base is, I'm sure, is looking forward to Memphis coming down there. I'm sure they want to see South Alabama upset Memphis. So you just have to prepare the right way, play the right way, and you should be able to win this game because you are the more talented team. Well, you look at it, and South Alabama is is not exactly the most explosive offensive team. They've only got one running back that's a, a legitimate threat to break anything. He's, you know, uh, Trey Minter. He's he was a close to a thousand yard back last year, but behind him, they've got really no depth whatsoever. Uh, they they don't have a really deep receiving core. And, you know, so far on the season, they put up 21 points against Nebraska and 37 against Jackson State. You know, Jackson State is a team that you would expect a, you know, extremely powerful offense to really go up against and, and light up the scoreboard, and they just didn't. Uh, Mentor is coming off a game where he had almost 190 yards. So, yeah, I mean, he can, he can put up some yards. I mean, the, the kid is obviously talented. Anytime you're a 1,000-yard back in D1, you're, you've got talent, but – I just think if Memphis comes in, they play you know sound defense like they've shown they can, and they just do what they do on offense. That they've got a ton of weapons. I don't think that South Alabama, no matter how hard they play, no matter how much of an upset they try to pull, that they can keep up with Memphis with the scoreboard. So uh, I fully expect Memphis to come come out of this. And and Christian, let's just remind everybody since I wasn't on last week. Whose score prediction was pretty damn close with the Ole Miss game? Oh, yours was way, way more close than mine. You you called a, a gritty game. I think your score – what was your score? Like 27 to 17 or something like that? 24 to 17. 24 – yeah, you so were way, I was, way closer than me. I was not – I was pretty much a score off each team almost. Uh, so it was, it was pretty spot on for me. Yeah, I, I think I must be uh, – you you must be rubbing off on me with your football skills because uh, my hot takes are coming along, my my score predictions. So I'm going to go 42-17 Memphis versus Alabama, uh, South Alabama. Yeah, I, I I think you're you're pretty close there. I don't I don't think that 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 South Alabama South Alabama offense can put up a ton of points on Memphis. I think that defense really is better than it has been. Uh, I think the offense is going to be pretty close this year to what it has been. So I'm going to go a little bit different from you. Uh, I think Memphis puts up – I think they put up 49 this week. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they have an, almost another 50-point game. Whew, let's see, 49, 49-14. to 14. I think the defense comes out and plays much better this week. I think Adam Fuller is probably not happy with the way they played last week, allowing – defense allowed 17 points they allowed 24 points overall because of that scoop and score so i say 14 49 to 14 i feel pretty confident with that we weren't that far off you don't act like you did something unique I, <laughs> that, was I had pretty, to, that was pretty close to mine i had to be somewhat um, different though well hey everybody if if we didn't warn you ahead of time this is gonna be a long episode so buckle up we're done with football now we're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we're gonna be back with basketball recruiting. I know that's what everyone's waiting on, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Brooks, so like you mentioned, we are done with football for this episode, and we are on to 2020 basketball recruiting, which I know everyone is excited about now. Like you mentioned earlier in the episode, Brooks, it is that time. We are here. It is time for basketball to basketball recruiting to heat up. Um, as you mentioned uh, earlier in the episode, uh, open period began on September 9th, and Memphis's staff has been hitting the ground running. So, who's Memphis been in to see, and you know what are you looking for from these guys and from these in-home visits that Memphis has taken over the past couple of days? Well, I guess before we get into that, let's just recap real quick. Memphis started out their official visit season for 2020. Uh, with a scheduled visit for Matty Sizoko, 6'10", uh, center. And, you know, his final four was BYU, Kansas, Memphis, and Michigan State. Uh, six days ago, before Sizoko was supposed to get onto campus, um, posted on our our VIP forums that uh, Sizoko would not make that visit. Uh, unless it got rescheduled. If it did not get rescheduled, that he was a done deal to Michigan State. Uh, turns out that come Tuesday night, Suzoko uh, sticks to his commitment announcement and announces for Michigan State. Memphis never got the visit in spite of prioritizing him leading up to the the fall evaluation period when when coaches can go out on the road. So that kind of builds up to – what does Memphis do now? Who are they going to see? It's perfect timing. So Memphis started out on Monday checking in on not a 2020 recruit. They started with a local class of 2021 guy, one of the hottest names on the circuit right now, had a, a better summer than almost anybody that I can remember in recent memory, and that's six foot one Briarcrest Christian School point guard Kennedy Chandler. Christian, you had a chance to talk to Kennedy. You had a chance to kind of recap that visit with him. What do you have to say? So it was an open gym at Briarcrest, so it wasn't – this one wasn't an in-home. They didn't go to Kennedy's house. They actually went up to Briarcrest, like you mentioned, um, got to watch him you know, practice a little bit with the team and have that open gym. And they took the entire staff there. So it was Penny, Mike, Tony Madlock, Cody Toppert, uh, it was Kennedy's first chance to to meet Coach Toppert, and you know he spoke highly of him and his developing skills, and and said it. You know it was obviously nice to have Memphis's staff there. They just offered him back at Peach Jam uh, after his, like you said, his massive summer. He had a great summer on the AAU circuit, and so he was excited to see them. You know, excited to be able to have the whole staff from his hometown there uh, and to watch him and. Brooks, what what I'll say before we move on there is there is obviously still a long way to go there with Kennedy being 2021, uh, but I know that 
Obviously, if you're bringing your whole staff there, Memphis likes Kennedy. Uh, that's going to be somebody that they evaluate to the end. Uh, obviously, with his high school season coming up and then being local, I'm sure they'll they'll make it to as many games as they can. But like I mentioned, Kennedy spoke highly of the staff. He's always spoke highly of Memphis' staff. And, and I think he obviously enjoys being recruited by his hometown school. Well, hometown was the flavor of the day for Monday when this, this period opened up. Memphis transitioned from visiting with Kennedy and moved on to West Memphis, Arkansas. Yet again, another local product in West Memphis uh, product, small forward, power forward, uh, just all around dog in Chris Moore. He's a 2020 prospect, four-star guy. Uh, so Memphis went from visiting with Kennedy and and sped over to West Memphis and sat down with Chris Moore and his his family, you had a chance yet again to speak with Chris. What he have to say? A lot of the same thing. I think I think these guys really do enjoy being recruited. I know it's not necessarily hometown, quote unquote, but it's right over the bridge. It's basically Memphis. So uh, I think they enjoy and feel respected by having that staff in. But it's not just respect for Memphis. If if Penny doesn't want a guy, he's not going to go get a guy. So I think Memphis has prioritized Chris Moore throughout the recruiting process. They've shown that. You know, he's been to campus multiple times. They watched him play multiple times over the summer. Uh, and he had a lot to, you know, a lot of the same that he said in the past about Memphis's staff, that, that they're prioritizing him, that they think there are a lot of things to his game that they can fine-tune and, and turn him into a, an NBA player potentially because they see a lot of things with Chris that they like. Like you mentioned, he's an all-around player. Uh, there's multiple positions that he can play. He's a scrappy player, um, proved on the AAU circuit that he can play the three or the four against some of the best players in the country. And uh, I also spoke with Chris about his official visit, which he switched from August 31st, which would have been the Memphis game, to Memphis Madness, and he was very excited about that. He said he hasn't gotten to go before, and he's heard from everybody you know, just how much of a spectacle that Memphis Madness is with the performances and the team. Uh, and it's going to be sold out again this year. So he said he's very excited to come on his official visit, learn more about the campus, learn more about the staff, uh, get to see that environment at Memphis Madness and, and see how hyped people are for this season for Memphis and, and what it would be like if he was one of those players. So I think there's an obvious reason why Memphis tries to get these guys for Memphis Madness, and, and Chris Moore proves that because of his excitement um, and what he's ready to see there is exactly why this event is so important for recruiting classes for Memphis and you know for Penny Hardaway and that staff. Well, on the topic of Chris Moore, I just want to bring up the fact that, you know, I'm not necessarily sold on Chris Moore being the type of player that Memphis is recruiting at this le- at this level at this point right now. And I want to be on record so that if and when Chris Moore comes to Memphis, if he turns into a, a hell of a player, that I'm on record I'm I, and I'm willing to eat crow on it because here's the thing. Every time I, I think to myself, I just don't know what position Chris Moore plays. I don't know what he is. I don't know what he can defend. I don't know what he does at the next level, at the collegiate level. I then head over to his box score for all of Peach Jam, for all of EYBL, and I look up and down his box scores, and that man just flat out produces. And so I'm saying in, in kind of, you know, out of one cheek, 
I'm saying that I just don't know if Chris Moore fits the level that Memphis is at right now. And then out of the other one, I'm like, man, this kid just absolutely fills up a box score every time he steps on the court. So, people, I want you to hold me accountable if and when Chris Moore puts on a Memphis jersey. Uh, I want you to call me out and and tell me, you know, Chris Moore developed. He he turned into the player that you didn't think he could be, and uh, I'm, I will totally eat crow on that. Well, I don't I, I don't think you're wrong in that assumption because it is so hard, you know, as as focused as people are nowadays on height and leaping ability and positionless basketball and this and that and all the analytics of it it's hard to see a guy like Chris Moore who's not a physical specimen who's not going to blow you away with speed or uh, spectacular dunks or anything like that but when you look at his production against the best players in the country it's always good I mean he was one of the best rebounders on the circuit as an undersized power forward, small forward, wherever they're playing yeah, him 6'5", yeah. Yeah, he, he's this is crazy. He's listed at 6'7", but I've stood next to him multiple times. He's not 6'7". So it is very difficult to read a guy like that because you don't know where they fit at the next level. Can you play a guy like that at the three that's not super athletic? Or you know, do you know, are you forced to play him at the four where he's probably one of the smallest power forwards in the country? It's very difficult to read a player like that, but... In my opinion, it is so hard to look away from the production because when a player does it on a consistent basis at a high level, it's hard to say that they won't contribute at the next level. And I think we've seen him rise a lot in the rankings because of that. But I also think where he's at is probably where he's going to stay. He's around that 85. He's been around that 85 to 90 mark since since I believe the second uh, series of games on the EYBL circuit. Because I think that same thing that you're saying is what all the analysts and scouts are saying is, how do we rank this guy if we don't even know what he's going to look like at the next level? So, Brooks, I'm I'm not I'm not saying I don't think it's a bad opinion at all because I think a lot of people have that opinion. Uh, but in my for me, in my opinion, it is hard to think that he won't produce at the next level with what he's done because all we can go off of is the body of work that he has given us, and it's been very impressive throughout his career at West Memphis High School. I mean, he's a legend in West Memphis already. And then when you look at his production with Woods Elite, who is not the most talented team in the world, what he does is impressive, and I think that's really what we have to go off of with Chris Moore. Well, in today's game, you're either a guard or a forward. Pretty much, you know, you James Wiseman's just do not grow on trees, and and the game is, you know, transitioning to such a perimeter based game where even your big men have to be able to pop, they have to be able to stand in the corner and hit threes, they have to be able to stretch the floor, and create driving lanes, and I guess there's a there's room somewhere in there for Chris because he can do both at some level. It's just a matter of De- developing him you know Memphis is is big right now on player development that's a big part of why they brought Cody Toppert in you see videos from Mike Miller developing guys working on their shots uh, and having that pro kind of player development mentality so yeah of course and then the other thing is I want Chris Moore to to head to a high major D1 program whether it be Memphis Kentucky wherever and prove me wrong because I'll be flat out honest. Like I love guys like him. PJ Tucker at Texas was one of my all-time favorite players to watch play, just because of how hard he played and what he did at his size. It was just unbelievable. He was 
so unstoppable for his size, pound for pound. He was one of the best players at his size to ever step on the floor in college basketball. And I'll argue that all day long. Uh, so I want him look at look at look at Draymond Green too. Absolutely. And I want I want him to turn into that type of player. So I will happily be wrong on him. So I, I just wanted to be on the record. So Chris Moore, Memphis moved on from him like we need to do because we are really deep in this conversation. And they headed over to Texas to to visit with Greg Brown and his family. Greg Brown, if you don't know, he is a springy pogo stick of a forward. Uh, five-star, top-ten-level talent that Memphis has prioritized and been on forever. Uh, in it with the likes of Texas, North Carolina, you name it, every high-major program within you know uh, the United States is recruiting him. Kentucky's in there. So you had a chance to speak with Greg Brown and his dad, and uh, his dad had some pretty colorful language, uh, getting pretty excited about the possibility of watching Memphis this season, but what was kind of the overall feel from the Browns and that visit with Memphis? Well, Brooks, before we get too deep into it, I did talk to Greg about uh, his, you know, the in-home visit that Memphis had. Once again, they brought the whole staff for the visit. All four of the staff members were there. Uh, so, like I said, before we get too deep into it, I wanna I wanna play a, a clip from what Greg said and and what he said about having the staff there and how he felt overall about the in-home visit. Uh, how did last night go, and and what was it like meeting the the full staff? Uh, it was a different experience because I was. It just felt um, I was just blessed to be in the presence of um, NBA All Stars, to be honest. And gotcha. they just show how. Awesome. Yeah, they just start interesting me, and I just just blessed. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, Brooke. So you can you can really tell from from what Greg said that you know he was excited to have that staff there uh, to be able to be in the presence of Mike Miller and Penny Hardaway it was a big deal for him. But I also spoke to Greg about his upcoming official visits. He already took his official visit to Texas. Uh, he'll be taking his official visit to Memphis on January fourth, and then Kentucky on January tenth. Um, and they're also they also have Auburn scheduled, uh, and they're trying to get North Carolina official visit scheduled as well. So a lot of visits upcoming for Greg Brown, who was initially a player uh, who thought that they were going to announce early. This was way back when before he blew up too big. They wanted to get the recruitment process out of the way. But with speaking with uh, Greg Brown and Greg Brown Sr., you know they both talked a lot about really wanting to see what these teams do this season uh, and who is consistently there, who is consistently building relationships. And when Greg talked about his official visits, he, you know he said that you know he's very obviously very blessed to be in this position to be able to take these visits and look at these schools and get to pick where he goes. Uh, but he also talked a lot about development, and I think that's something that's so key when you talk about this staff. Because he has aspirations to be the number one overall pick. That's what he wants to be. And, uh, you know, from speaking with him, he, he obviously felt like the the coaches that Memphis has, and especially bringing in Cody Toppert, uh, that they have great developers. So I, the, from talking to him and talking to his dad, 
I only I only heard good feedback from Memphis. Sometimes when you talk to these kids and their parents, you can tell if they're leaning a specific way or or not feeling a team. And they still seem to be feeling Memphis. They still seem to you know to be buying Penny Hardaway's message and this coaching staff's message. Um, and they obviously are are very excited to see what they do this season because I think that I think that means a lot for them. I think if Memphis is able to make a deep run and do some good things that 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 goes a long way for Memphis with Greg Brown I I know it's not like that for every player but from what I've heard and from speaking with them they definitely think that this season is important for Memphis and and for Greg's recruitment well I mean I think this season is massive for recruiting as a whole you cannot get the number one class overall and not capitalize on that the only way that you can really maintain that momentum is to go out there and really win at a high level with the number one class did the number one way you can continue that momentum is to go out there and make a final four run if they do that i don't even want to uh, envision how insane memphis recruiting is going to get now if they underperform could it hurt them yeah I, i think that coaches will use anything they can you know if they fizzle out in the first round second round uh, don't make it to the sweet 16 could it hurt them absolutely coaches will use anything and everything they can so Memphis has to capitalize on that um, in order to continue that that success on the recruiting trail so Christian that that wraps up everybody they've been in the sea as of right now correct am I blanking on anybody no, as of Tuesday night, that's that's who they've been in to see. Yeah, so previewing next, I'm just going to rattle off some names. Uh, we've put this uh, in VIP. This will be the first time that some of these names have been dropped publicly. Uh, Memphis will be in later this week to see Jalen Green. As expected, uh, Jalen Green is obviously Memphis's top priority. Five-star guard out of California. Uh, just tremendously talented. Uh, Memphis is in a dogfight with Kentucky and, and a few others. They'll be in to see Jaden Springer on Thursday leading up to his official visit this coming weekend. We can come back and visit that topic in just a second. Um, they'll also be in to see uh, Dawson Garcia. Uh, they will be in to see Chet Holmgren, uh, class of 2021 five-star center. Uh, let's see, who else? What am I missing? I think that's – A lot of guys. I, th- I think that's really it from from what we've heard so far. And I want to touch – just for a second before we uh, revisit. Oh, Christian, Christian, we're forgetting. We got? With, I teased this with Matty Sizoko committing to Michigan State, and you know we we posted this last week on on the board that when Matty committed to Michigan State, the next up on that list for Memphis, they would be transitioning to Cliff Amory, a four star center out of New Jersey. Uh, Cliff is a top forty five level prospect, six eleven. Uh, Pogo stick, shot blocker, rim protector, uh, elite level rebounder. So Memphis has not offered Cliff yet. Memphis will be in to see him next week. So I would say do not be shocked to see an offer come out of that visit from Memphis. So let's rewind. What do you want to talk about from that group of guys that Memphis is planning on seeing? Well, two of the guys you mentioned, Dawson Garcia and Chet Holmgren, are two guys that haven't been mentioned a ton, uh, especially Dawson Garcia with the 2020 class. 
but it's somebody that Memphis' staff evaluated at the MBPA Top 100 camp. They were blown away by what he did there uh, with his size, six foot eleven, can play the four and the five. His athletic ability. I mean, it, from watching him, from watching him at the MBPA camp, he is super smooth down low, uh, technician down low. He really, he really has great post moves, and and he is really what Memphis needs in this class. We've pointed to it multiple times that they are going to need a big with James Wiseman likely out the door as a top three pick. Uh, so getting a guy like you mentioned with Cliff Amore or with Dawson Garcia, that's why we're going to see some of these six foot ten plus guys really start to get prioritized because they know they need it. Um, and like I said, Dawson is somebody that they identified uh, back at the MBPA camp, and I think they'll be pushing for him pretty hard from here on out, especially with Maddie. Uh, committing to Michigan State. Uh, and then also Chet Holmgren is somebody that they identified at the UAA finals. Uh, I, I think if you if you follow any of the basketball accounts, if you follow Bleacher Report or Overtime or anything like that, they love Chet Holmgren because he he doesn't look like he would be a great basketball player. I mean, he's like, he's seven foot, but he's like 150 pounds. <laughs> he is tiny. He does not pass the eye test at all. No, not whatsoever. He looks like a skeleton out there, but he can shoot the ball. He can play down low. He's aggressive for how skinny he is. I mean, he is not afraid to bump down low. He will block shots. He can step out and shoot, which is so important in this game. Like you mentioned, it, you know, the, ba- the game of basketball really shifts into a per- perimeter-based game. Uh, having a big that can shoot is extremely valuable. Uh, he's a top five player for a reason. I wasn't blown away with him at first, but the more that I've watched him and the more that I've studied his tape, he is definitely a quality player. I mean, there's like I said, there's a reason he's top five. I think he will be one of Memphis's biggest priorities for for 2021. And I think when you get a guy like James Wiseman, you you see what he can do. Then you want to go out and get those seven footers that are extremely athletic, can run the floor, block shots, shoot. If you have a do-it-all center, I mean, that helps your team out so much. So uh, they'll be in to see both of those guys. I think they're those are two guys, uh, one for the 20 class, one for the 21 class, that will start to be priority soon because they fit the bill, they fit what Memphis wants to do, um, and big men are going to be a priority for this coaching staff moving forward. All right, so what does all of this mean? What does Memphis take away from this? I mean, for me, I look at this, and, and again, this all leads up to Memphis Madness. The, the visitor list right now is pretty slim. You know, we're looking at, what, Chris Moore and Jalen Green at this point, which even if if you get those two, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's still a massive lineup. But uh, I expect a bunch of the local guys, a bunch of the really high-level 2022 local guys to be there. Would not be shocked if Kennedy Chandler weren't there. Um, any others that you're expecting right off the bat? Yeah, that was that was my other one. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Kennedy Chandler was there. Um, like you said, some of those younger guys, 21, 22 guys will probably be there. Um, I don't know if you've heard anything on it, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like uh, Jadarian Davis in there. I think they're they're. This is more like last year. We saw a lot of 21, a lot of 22, 22 guys there. So uh, I expect multiple people from the from the younger, from the lower classmen. Uh, but I think they also get more guys from the 2020 class if they get another guy or two local and then uh, obviously some of these other top priorities. But mainly going to be lower classmen because when you look at, you know, Jaden Springer's visit's going to come before Memphis Madness and some of these, I'm sure they're going to try to set up multiple visits. So it's something that we'll have to watch play out. But if they can get somebody there for Memphis Madness, you can bet money that they're going to get them there for that because that is what that whole event is for. Well, this is the perfect segue because you look at Memphis Madness last year, 
and the lineup top to bottom from that 2019 class that they had there for that event, it's insane how many of those guys ended up a part of the 2019 recruiting class for Memphis. It's it's pretty much almost a one for one. Uh, I mean, it's it's nuts how successful they were in getting all of those guys on campus for Memphis Madness and then getting them all committed. So I would say – I think – what was it? Every commit was there other than Damian Ball. Damian Ball was and there. And maybe Lester. I think da- – Damian Ball was there. Damian Ball was – Lester was not. Lester was not there. So yeah. everyone except for Lester made it to Memphis Madness. So they were you know, shooting at a very high clip there. So if Memphis gets Jalen Green, Chris Moore on campus for Memphis Madness, adds one or two others of their high priorities for 2020. I mean, they they are they have shown that they are very good at closing in those moments. Uh, so I, it would not shock me if Memphis tried to stack their 2020 potential class that night. Uh, here's the other thing: some people have panicked because I did pull the trigger on a couple of crystal balls for for Memphis guys I pulled the crystal ball on Maddie and that that ended up being accurate I pulled the crystal ball on Jaden Springer to UT uh, right after he canceled his visits to UNC and Florida I have very very specific reasons for doing that uh, can I share those no but I, I feel pretty confident in those reasons now are those reasons? so convincing that there's no way humanly possible that Memphis can overcome them. No, absolutely not. If they were that convincing, if they were that serious, Memphis would be on the list of canceled official visits with UNC and Florida, right? Like if if they were out, if they had absolutely no shot, 0% shot, then there's no reason to take that visit. And Jaden flat out said that, when asked why he canceled the UNC and Florida visits, he said, I just, I wasn't feeling it. I wanted to go ahead and cancel it. So that way they could use their resources, their money, not spend it on me and go out and try to get some of the guys that they really want to get. Um, so if he's coming, which he is, Jaden Springer will be on campus this coming weekend. Then they've got a shot. Anytime you get a guy on campus, you've got a shot. So, and I also pulled the trigger. Uh, who else did I pull the trigger on? Oh, Greg Brown to UT. And and honestly, I just I did that because I feel like Shaka Smart is going to be desperately trying to keep his job. That recruits uh, are oftentimes one of the the biggest ways that coaches can save their jobs um, by having a promising class on the horizon. Now that doesn't always work. So I do think it's going to be extremely hard. The longer Greg waits, the better it is for Memphis uh, because it does allow him to see what Memphis is doing with this class. It allows him to see a potential meltdown at uh, Texas. So I think that's good. Could my crystal ball on Greg Brown change? Yes. I, I do have reasons and information that led me to doing that that I feel confident about. I People who follow my crystal ball and, and what I say, you know that I don't typically pull the trigger on a crystal ball unless I feel pretty confident in it. But there's a ton of time. He's not Greg is not committing to UT anytime soon. He's not making a decision anytime soon. So Memphis 
has time for Penny Hardaway to get more involved, to to turn that uh, killer closer mentality on with Penny and try to close the deal. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say rewind the clock to last September. James Wiseman was rumored to be leaning towards Kentucky. People didn't even know that Memphis was on Damian Ball yet because they weren't. Lester Quinones DJ was, Jeffries was committed to Kentucky. Yeah, DJ Jeffries was committed to Kentucky, and then when he decommitted, was on the verge of committing to Mississippi State. People can refute that all day long, but it, it's out of the mouth of the kid himself and his father that they were uh, leaning towards Mississippi State and close to committing there. We got um, receipts on that one. We do, and you know Lester Quinones was not even a known commodity at that point for Memphis. They had not really started prioritizing or recruiting him. Uh, Preston Achiwa was still completely under the radar. It wasn't out there that they were after him. The the ball was already rolling down the hill trying to get him on campus for madness, but that wasn't out there. Um, so you look across the board at what ended up being Memphis's 2019 class in, in September of 2018. If you really think about it, people were panicked trying to figure out what was going on. And then you fast forward to April and you, there's no way in the world that you could have imagined the final result. So I'm never going to underestimate what Penny and the staff can do. They they put in the hours. They put in the work. They kill it on the recruiting trail. So I would say don't freak out just because I pulled the trigger on two crystal balls. is not that big of a deal. Sit back. Watch the staff do their work. Um and it's going to be interesting to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun because I think that there will be a lot of movement in the next couple of months. Um, it was a lot clearer last November what was going to happen than it was in September. So two months can make a lot of difference. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And before we get out of here, I'm going to piggyback on two things you said real quick. First one's with Greg Brown. Uh, with speaking with him and his father today, they sound like they are going to wait until the last minute. They sound like they want to evaluate, uh, continue to build relationships until the end. So like you said, things could implode at Texas and they say no to them. They don't want to go be a part of that. And Memphis could go in the opposite direction and be very successful next year and that could change their opinion. So much like you said, it's nothing to overreact to yet. That's the current information that we're getting in September, this one's probably going to go to April or May, so they're still, what is that, like six, seven, eight months, however long. Uh, plenty of time for Memphis to make up any ground uh, or to continue building that relationship or to just go out and be successful in the court because, like you mentioned, that's the best way to do it with these guys is to show them that you can be successful. And then your second point, you know, you mentioned – uh, new targets emerging at this point last year or a month from this time last year in October, November, it got a little bit more clear. And that's why we're mentioning guys like Dawson Garcia and Cliff Amori now because you're starting to see focus shift. And that's why we start breaking this down in the summer and in the spring right after uh, right after the previous class closes. And, you know, after the 2019 class closed, we were talking about the 2020 class and the priorities. And if you look back to what we were saying in June, it has definitely changed up to September. So those things change, new targets emerge, uh, players decide to go elsewhere. All that stuff changes. This recruiting is fluctuates so much. It's, it's a day in day out process. One thing, uh, can be one way 
on Tuesday and then on Wednesday it's completely different. So just stay tuned to it. Don't don't overreact. Don't freak out. Um, you could see more guys emerge as time continues to go towards the season and and towards uh, the late signing period. So there's still a long way to go. They're still getting in on new guys. They're still building those relationships. So uh, in September everything's going to look completely different in May when all the NLIs are signed and, and guys have committed to their schools. So it's no need for overreaction because this stuff goes all the way for the majority of the time. Well, and the other thing is that, you know, the other wrinkle is that there are guys that are still considering the possibility of reclassifying. A guy that I fully expect Memphis to see while they're in California visiting Jalen Green is Devin Askew, a top 15 five-star that's out there in California that Memphis is heavily prioritizing. So uh, he has been rumored as a possible 2020 reclassification. Terrence Clark is another guy that Memphis is rumored to be visiting this week uh, that is reclassifying. He says he's still considering it, but he will reclassify to 2020 and is making his commitment known on September the 14th. So, you know, all kinds of movement going on, all kinds of developments that will be shaking out in the next few months. So stay tuned. Don't get too crazy. Just stay locked in on our board. As always, uh, we'll try to bring you the latest news as quick as we can ahead of the curve. So, Christian, we're almost 50 minutes into this thing. You got anything else before we close it out? Nope, I'm all good over here. All right, well, speak now, forever hold your peace. If you got nothing else... That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 